of God's faithfulness in his life. David is not speaking as a king and a man of many accomplishments, but as a servant, a humble servant. And that servant is to the one true God. His direction for this psalm is to the choir master. And this psalm is to be used by Israel as a song of praise and adoration, but also as instruction for those that sing it. I believe that there's a model here just in that thought to us at Crossway Christian Church. We as the elders and members of this congregation take it very seriously, the songs of praise that we use and sing. They are rich with God's word. They give us strength. They allow us to understand better who God is. I realize that God's word says to take instruments and use them in our time of worship and praise and singing. And we do that. We have talented people that play instruments and sing. But what you won't see is for them to stop, turn to our drummer Jeff, and him do a 10-minute solo on the drums. It isn't God-glorifying. Yes, he has the talent to do that, but has it edified the body? We take very seriously what we sing in our songs. David did the same in this psalm. Originally, this psalm was from Samuel chapter 22, was also seen almost word for word, Psalm 18. And in that form, David was not using it at that time as a song for the nation of Israel, but truly for himself to enlighten his heart to what God had done in his life. Psalm 18 is lengthy, 50 verses. So what I would like to do is to take and read them in sections under the topics of discussion that we will be looking at as we go through them. So may we start by reading the scripture, verses 1 through 3, thinking about David's praise-filled description of the Lord, his faith, his praise-filled description of the Lord. To the choir master, a song of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Stronghold, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I, have, and I am saved from my enemies. We have to start by realizing from where did these words and these emotions come. If we can think about in our own lives, if we've ever written a love letter, or maybe in today's version, a love text. Yes, it's going to take a mind. Yes, it's going to take some agility with our hands and coordination, but it has to start 
from our heart. It is the outflowing of exactly what is in our heart. David says what he is going to write comes from the love that he has for his God. But how does he describe the one true God? He says he's my strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, refuge, shield, salvation, stronghold. God is his strong protector, but he is also his personal stronghold, his personal God. We see that by his use of the pronoun me over and over again. He is witnessing of what God is in his individual life. David did not deny that God can be savior to many, but he was making reference that he knew that he was his personal Lord. Most of these images that are presented of the Lord show a de- defensive position. He's a shield. He's a fortress. He's a refuge. But there's more than that. It also shows that David knows and describes our Lord as a protector. And we see that when we look at the one where he said, he is the horn of salvation. Now we might not pick up on that that's very significant, but we have to understand if we would look back at Exodus 21, God gives instruction on what happens if your bull gouges somebody else with their horn. In that time, it was realized that bulls had much power and horns were lethal. And if something happened through that occurrence, you were held accountable. David is saying that his God is that powerful, should be feared that greatly, just like that bull was in Exodus. I think that verse 3 really says it all. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, to be praised. But in that last statement, there's almost a call ahead to the next part of Scripture because he says, I will call upon the Lord. And that leads us to our next part, which David says, he calls on the Lord, verses 4 through 19. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked, and the foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and the devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherubim and flew and came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his cover, his canopy around him. Thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. 
The Lord also thundered in heaven, in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the the breath of your nostrils. David's life was threatened many times. There's accounts in 1 Samuel, different chapters. There's a gentleman by the name of Nabal, Sheba, and even his own disgruntled soldiers would try to kill him. But in this message, there's no mention of any of those. But rather, he says, cords of death, which is waves of death, is reference. A nautical term. It almost seems out of place. There's nothing in David's life as king of Israel that ever talked about anything to do with that. But in that region, they knew that the waters around them were treacherous. And David understood that. It also says it reeled and rocked. There's no biblical account ever of an earthquake in that area. But I believe what David was saying was he knew that the God of the universe had the ability to rearrange the political climate of the place where they lived. David revealed the secrets that enabled him to cope with the stress that was threatening his life. What did he turn to? He said, he will call on the Lord. That's another way of saying, and I tried to use it in our opening when I asked for God to bless our time together. It's a time of prayer. We go before the throne of grace asking God to intervene. It is speaking to him, and that's what David relied on, knowing that there was no distance that could separate him from God hearing his prayer. There was no circumstances that would ever not allow God to hear his coming before him in prayer. Nothing can limit God's ability to intervene. The psalm also lets us know that David's powerful God is also a caring and saving God. They comforted me in the day of my calamity. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out of the broad place. He rescued me. And then at the end of that verse, it says, because he delighted in me. Almost like what we just witnessed in the first part where it seemed out of place, we now see David saying, because he delighted in me. God delights in us? It draws us into our next part of Scripture, which is verses 20 through 28, as David takes comfort in his God-given integrity. Follow along as I read verses 20 through 28. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanliness of my hands, he rewarded me. 
for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me. His statutes I did not put, up, put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness and according to the cleanliness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself mercy, merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. David now, in this section of Scripture, goes from what the Lord has done to why the Lord has done this. And I think that that should be something that catches the ear of every person here, everyone that is seeking after God. Why is God showing his blessing on David? Why is he showing blessing on me? Or why does he not seem to be showing his blessing on me? David says his obedience to the law was a result of God's blessing. That again should strike our ear and say, David, that same man that sinned so grievously before God that would have an adulterous affair with Bathsheba, that would set her husband up to be killed to try and cover up that affair. But what we must remember about those instances is that was not his true nature and character. It also was sin that had been repented of and put behind him. So we must not get past, we must get past the why of the Lord giving blessing to David. Why did he do this? It sounds like David wants to take credit for God's great blessing upon him. But David himself in this scripture starts out by saying and ending with it is God that has done a work in him. And it began when God called him out as a young man. God chose David. God enlightened himself to David. David would know from his training that the God of Israel had promised over and over again that if you are faithful to me, I will reward you. If you will keep my rules, the Torah, I will give you blessings. But we must remember something else if we think that way. We must carefully understand that obeying the law and faith comes together. And Paul would point this out in Galatians chapter 3. For he would say, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, 
Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for righteousness, for the righteous shall live by faith. Paul is saying you cannot keep the law. We will be lawbreakers. We cannot keep it perfectly. So then how then do we know that we are justified before God by faith in God for what God has individually done? The commentary that I found helpful in understanding this was written by Robert Bergen, and he has a section that I think clarifies and exactly brings these two things together. He would, he would write, To avoid creating a conflict with Pauline theology, we must assume that genuine God-centered faith was the wellspring of David's scrupulous attention to the law in his personal conduct. David received his reward from God because he had a faith-based righteousness that produced actions consistent with it. Faith-based righteousness that produced actions consistent with it. Order is everything. We must remember that faith produces actions. Actions do not produce faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is full of of those that through faith were blessed and were counted as righteous before God. But it was God that would enlighten them to the truth of who he was and they would respond with servanthood and obedience to God himself. But I think we also have to understand and remember what James would write because there is a correlation between faith and works and David would, or I'm sorry, James would say, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith will produce works. David had faith in his life of continuing to put the precepts of God before him was evident in his life. But David gives us another thing that shows us how God rewards those that are faithful to him. He has his own little set of what I call the Beatitudes in this section. We know that in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus himself would say, Blessed are those and then there would be a reward for that. You will be blessed if you, and then coming from God. Like the example, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the world. David here says, like in verse 25, with the merciful, you, God, show your mercy. With blameless man, you show your blamelessness. With the purified you show yourself to be pure. And Lord, with the humble, you are the one that will save. But in this, we also have to remember and see that God doesn't treat everybody the same. 
Because in that same set, we see that he is going to turn against those who are, have haughty eyes. The proud and arrogant will not be rewarded and blessed by God. They do not know him as Lord and Savior of their own lives. I believe that this is one of the most important parts of this scripture, this section, that we understand that we must look at our individual hearts and lives to realize what God has done for each one of us. There may be those among us today that God has been Lord of our life for many years, and we can see his blessing over and over in our life. And to him we say, we praise you, God, for that. For those that he has only enlightened to the truth of who he is in their individual lives, they might have been called out of sin that was very grave. And they're looking forward to a lifetime of serving him, knowing the blessings will come. But I think there are also those that are seeking after him, that are wondering today, is he God of my life? Why do I not see the fruit of his blessings in my individual life? And I would say in love and as a warning, search your own heart. Can you go back and say, like David could say in his life, yes, there was, re there was sin, but it is not my character now. I have repented of it. But if you have not repented of that sin and you continue to live in it, God will not bless and reward you. He may be using difficulties and times in your life to purify you and draw you to repentance, to serve him with your whole heart. Our next section of scripture is verses 29 through 45. The Lord's deliverance of David. The Lord's deliverance. Follow along as I read. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of the deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can build a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet, for you equipped me with strength for the battle, you made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but, they, there, but there was none to save. 
They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom, whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. Well, let's see what some of the accomplishments are that David says he gives credit to God for. David said that he goes beyond his own personal limitations by what God has done. Gracious provisions of insight and help come from God. They were not part of him originally. The Lord trained him. David was not a great warrior and a military leader. God gave him that ability. And the Lord was a protection from all the threats that may, may be hurled against him. David did not only accept these gifts, but he used them. And what did he use them for? For judgment on those that were the enemies of God himself. He would be the one to bring judgment on those that rebelled and did not know God as Lord and Savior. And that didn't just come to those that were of other nations, but it was also from his own family and from those that were part of Israel himself. This section of scripture, when I was looking at it, made me think of one of the questions as I was reading in, in the different commentaries. When did David read, uh, actually write this song of praise? There are those that think it was probably early on. He was king. He had had some time on the throne. But personally, I think it was later in his life. I think one of the things that made me think that is because of where it is actually said to come about in 2 Samuel. The next scriptures about David in 2 Samuel talk about his last words. It seems to be late in his life. But also, I think this section of scripture, when he talks about so many things that God helped him with, can only be after a man has lived a mature life of trusting in the Lord. There are few benefits to getting old. But when you get old in the Lord and you see his hand upon you in providence, it brings you to praise. I will be the first one to admit that I know little or nothing about music. But I know that most songs start out slow and build from there and then reach what is called a crescendo, right? It gets big at the end. Well, David does the same in this psalm. I believe that he gives some of his greatest praise at the end. And there's four reasons for that. The praise of the Lord. And we will see them in verses 46 through 49. 
The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, the exalted be the God, and the exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued people under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. From this, for this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to you, sing to your name. These four areas of praise are as true today as when David wrote them in this song of instruction and praise to God. And the first one is, the Lord lives. We don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a God that is of stone or some material that cannot hear us when we call to him. He is the one living God. And maybe the part about that that we have a hard time comprehending is he is a God that had no beginning and no end. We know that we have a beginning on this earth and an end. We can understand that we will spend an eternity with him if he is Lord and Savior of our lives, but there was a beginning. But that wasn't true with God. He always was. And, and David praises him for that. But also, he's the Lord who is on his people's side. And it is so obvious. He calls him the rock. He keeps his promises. And he, inv uh, he avenges the wrongs of his people. When he calls him a rock, we understand that he is the foundation for everything. Moses would write a song very similar to this, and it would be in Deuteronomy toward the end of it. And in our sermon series that's coming, that it, we are in with Pastor Wallacher, I'm sure that we will be seeing that again, that Moses uses the same language. He calls God his rock. But David also says that there's great praise because he is the God of true freedom. He's liberating us from the man of violence, the men who do evil. Hebrews 13.6 would say, So we can confidently say, The Lord my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Man himself, if we are chosen and brought the saving knowledge of Christ and are assured of our salvation, man can do nothing in this life to prevent us from spending an eternity with God himself. Even if we lose our life at the hand of another, we are rest assured that we will never be taken from our Savior's midst. And the fourth reason David gives for praise in this last part of this psalm, because spray, praise spreads the glory of God to all. When we sing God's praises, and we see and are willing to share that with others, that also brings praise to God through those that might come to know and understand who he is. 
But we also must know and remember everyone with whom much has been given, of him much will be required. If God has been faithful to us, we must be faithful to him in the calling that he has put on our individual lives and that reaches to all nations. See, we sometimes think that Israel had one God that they kept to themselves. No, that wasn't the intent that God had for them to do. Yes, they were to be faithful to him, but they were also to be faithful to the nations around him and proclaim his goodness by thought, word, and deed. As David reflected on his life, he saw very clearly how God, his Lord, had his hand on every detail. He responded out of faith and had kept the way of the Lord when many men would have taken personal credit for such great accomplishments. David gave all the praise and honor to God and invited all nations to do the same. But this psalm isn't over. This hymn has not been completely sung. There's verse 50. And that says, Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. David had a limited knowledge of what that meant. Yes, Nathan the prophet had come to him and said, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before you, before me. Your throne shall be established forever. David understood that there would be a man to rule over Israel from his lineage forever. God said that that would happen. David was on that side of the cross. We are on this side of the cross. We know so much more of that statement. We know that what was meant was from the line of David would come one that would redeem his people, that would be a king, but not an earthly king, that he would be the son of God and son of man. Jesus Christ himself would come and reveal himself and bring a people unto himself. And he would do that through leading a perfect life to be willing to submit to a death on the cross and to pay the penalty for sin that we could never pay. And that King Jesus would be Lord and Savior to those that would realize that they are but sinners saved by his grace. The great exchange would come about. He would take our sin and all that we should endure as punishment and give us the righteousness of God so that when we stood before God himself, he would not see us as sinners, but as the righteous one of Christ. And that comes through those that God calls unto himself and follow in faith to a life to allow him Lord and Savior of our individual hearts and lives. Let's pray.
Lord, I ask this day, as you have given us this time, to understand, hopefully more clear, a life of David that was so led by you that he was so willing to put all of your precepts first in his own heart and life, not for personal gain, not that it made much of him, but because it brought honor and praise to you and then he surrendered and did this all out of great love. I pray that we do the same. But I also pray, Lord, that we are convicted that sin must not be harbored in our own hearts and lives, that we repent of it, turn from it, and seek after you with all that you have given us and all that we are, that it may bring honor and praise to you, but it may also be seen by others in other nations to realize that the one true God is a gracious God, a merciful God, but a just God. I thank you that you have given us this time together, Lord. Allow us to serve you to the best of the ability that you have given us. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.